Before you listen to the podcast, we have to let you know that there is a bit of technical issues. Uh, we noticed in this episode and our last episode, there's a bit of a lag between ourselves as hosts and the guest. Um, we'll be asking a question and halfway through the question, the guest will be answering straight away. We're trying to figure out <clears throat> these issues and we hopefully we'll get it sorted before our next podcast. Um, we were thinking of doing this one again, but... We felt that the lagging does come up, but not to the point where it ruins the episode completely. So we hope you enjoy it. We're sorry again for any technical issues, and we'll hopefully get it sorted soon. Thank you. Enjoy. Okay, and we're live again with another podcast with Kareem and Joe, The Conversation. Today's guest, we've got Hassan Sabeh, uh, also known as Singh. Um, Singh is currently in Qatar. He's involved in the Qatar Rugby Federation, which he'll tell us all about. But Singh was also a national team player, uh, played his last test match in 2012, um, I know Singh from university in uh, in Lebanon at LAU. So first of all, welcome to the podcast. Singh. Welcome. Thank mate. you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, uh, it's a pleasure, mate. It's a pleasure. Uh, well, before we start recording this pod, we, we were asking you about Qatar and what's going on with the coronavirus, and you were saying that the cases are so big. Has has the Qatar Rugby Federation got any plans to when? Uh, teams can go back to training or anything like that? Has the government said anything or you just don't know right now? No, we, we follow the Olympic Committee guidelines. So I think in a couple of weeks, we're going to be allowed to train in groups of five. So okay. five on each half of the pitch. And okay. just keep it as that, you know. I think by August, we'll probably be back to full team training, hopefully. And, and and when you go to the five, the five groups of five co- training, there's no contact allowed, right? No, no contact. Just skill sets. Is there a ball allowed, or just okay. running a fitness? Yeah, ball is allowed. Hopefully, it's uh, hopefully it's allowed. <laughs> <laughs> well, we weren't sure because we were discussing well, with um, yeah one of the Aussie pl- boys, uh, Rohan. Not, not sure if you know him, but um, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I think they they when they were coming back at first, they weren't allowed with the ball because obviously you know you. You could transfer everything on the ball and send, you know, if you're passing it back and forth. So. I, I think from from our side, because of the team is really in lockdown, the national side is in lockdown. So I don't think it's it's a very low percentage that one of them is affected. You know, because we follow up with them on daily basis. We do the Zoom trainings with them. Their strength and conditioning online. Everything is done online. So we see them every day and we make sure that they're, they're in complete lockdown. Are they getting tested regularly? They will be tested as soon as we want to start training. So everyone who wants to join okay. training is going to get tested. Okay. And when, So how long does it take for you to get the results of the test? Uh, 24 hours. Even less, I think. Okay. Okay. So you, your, your idea is to test all the girls like the day before training, make sure they stay in isolation that whole 24 hours. And so when they come to training, you know everyone is okay. Yeah, yeah 100%. Uh, okay, makes sense. All right, okay, so let's get right into it and a bit of your history. So, 
you started league first, didn't you, before rugby union? Yeah, I played league with uh, the LAU Immortals. We played together for a yeah. couple of years. Yeah. And yeah. then we jo- I joined Union, I think, 2009. I started playing Union. Yeah. Uh, it was a good so transfer. What, <laughs> what, why did you... Was there any particular reason why you wanted to try Union? Or was there anything about the game or the way that you played that you thought it was suited? Or it was just because a bunch of your friends started playing Union as well and you thought you'd give it a crack? Uh, honestly, I love being in the scrum. <laughs> <What is true? laughs> okay. The league scrum is just—I don't know why why it's there anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, we, we, did we you love, play we any scrummaging before? Oh yeah, I love scrummaging. Love scrummaging. <laughs> so, did you play any union before you played league, or you've always started in league? No, I always started with league. As as like okay. a high standard, let's call it in LAU. It was league. I played a couple of touch games before, and that's it. But full contact it was league. Yeah, Jesus. Okay, so to go, so how did you? So what? Why? Why did you? Um, what about the scrums? Did you like? Was it just because you were watching games and you were like, "Oh, they can actually push in it. This is interesting." Or what was it? Or, or didn't you find out until you started training? I think I was just big enough to be in the scrum. I was my my weight <laughs> my weight helped a lot, so I was very powerful in the scrum. I think I was one hundred and fifty-four. Yeah. When I used to scrum for God, Vietnam. so just having Damn. just having these thirty extra kilos were fine. <laughs> Jesus, Did, was it? Um, oh, sorry, John. No, I'm you go ahead, mate. You're wrong. I'm, I'm just, oh yeah, I'm just intrigued. It's like, so obviously in the game of league, naturally, if you play if you play rugby league at a, high, a, a very high level, and I'm not talking in Lebanon, I'm talking in the yeah, world, yeah. in like Super League or NRL or even you know high level in um, Australia it is a fast game it is a very very fast yeah, game 100%. you know all 13 players all 13 players have to be fit you don't get the big fat props like you used to in union playing league yeah. because you just can't you just can't do it there's so much there's, there's so much fitness involved um, so obviously in LAU the standard was much lower um, so you you could have had you could have you know had a lot of rest, especially in defense, because on in league, you know, people play a very simple game plan. It's like you hit it up two or three times, and on the fourth tackle, maybe go wide. So if you're really tired as a forward, you can like literally in the first three or two or three tackles, you can stay on the outsides a little bit because you know you're not really going to get much, yeah, yeah, you know, I, towards you, and you don't have to. As a forward, you get what's that? As a forward, you get a lot of breaks in league. Especially in our standards, yeah. uh, first tackle maybe take yeah. maybe take the first hit up, the third maybe, and that's it. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, so you were mentioning your size of 150 odd kilos. So when you went to Union, which is I'm not saying it's non-stop, but the only time when you do stop, it's only because of a mistake, for, like through a scrum or you restart for a scrum or a line out. Apart from that, there's not really much weight. There's not much stop start in a, in a game of union so how did you deal with that especially with your your weight and size and the scrums being contested well I, i'd like to to think i was i was fit enough i wasn't super fit you know i i i never played the 80 minutes to a full 100 <laughs> percent. you know what i mean uh, i try to hide sometimes <laughs> Maybe hit a rock, maybe hit a rock or two, and that's it. 
as as usual. To, as, yeah, as I'm, the, I'm the same as you. <laughs> oh, you're not the only one, mate. I hide from when we're on defense as well. I hide. Um, oh yeah, because to be fair, when I remember playing with you, you know, I, I obviously when they got into the late stages of the game, you could see that you were like pretty fucked. But in Union, I I, I can't I couldn't remember seeing like you being like a lot of walking about. I think maybe in later parts of the game, but in, in the start of the game, in the first 40, 50 minutes, I didn't see you walking much. You seemed to get around the pitch okay, whether you did it smartly, whereas you knew you couldn't chase after rook, after rook, after rook, and so you just placed yourself in certain positions, or you were fitter than, you know, you look. I, I, I um, think I was... Maybe a bit of both. I was fitter than, uh, than the way I looked because I played a lot of sports growing up. So at 150, I was playing mm. rugby. I was playing... A bit of basketball just for fun. Uh, yeah, I grew up playing all kinds of sports, you know. So I think it's just yeah. growing up with it. So you can manage your match fitness. It's different than coming and tell me run a bronco or something. I'm not gonna do it. But on the pitch, <laughs> yeah. on the pitch, I can manage myself. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Efficiency. You can uh, uh... <laughs> work it when you need to. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I just got one more question before I pass it over to Tuma before we go into any more details. But so, okay, so you you played rugby league, then you moved over to Union in two thousand and was what, what what year was it when you first played for Lebanon? What year? Uh, two thousand and ten. It was our first test match against Jordan, I think. Okay, so you played in so you played in so you played twenty ten, then you played twenty eleven, then your last uh, time with Lebanon was twenty twelve, yeah. correct? Yeah. So okay, so from the first year to 2010 to the last year to 2012, you know, what did you what do you think changed about the game? How do you think you changed as a player as the years went by? Well, honestly, in 2010 when it was our first international, we didn't have a lot of uh, let's say technical experience. Scrums lineouts coming out of league, you barely, you know, you don't have that experience of scrumming lineouts and stuff. I think we played a lot more locally in Lebanon in 2010, 2011. That's what, why we got 2000, 2012 and we were pretty confident, let's say, in our technical points. <clears throat> and we had a lot of great additions to the lineup coming, coming through. Even from abroad, even locally, yeah. we had a lot of people coming with the experience that we needed. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I think I remember that as well. I think that was the first year twenty twelve for the likes of like Tuma came in. Yeah, that was my first. Um, yeah, um, I think at that point, you know, a lot of people started taking it quite seriously. I think we we started getting a good bond between each other with the those players because we we established a, a core group. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, but 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 as that having said that, after twenty twelve. The 2012 team and the 2013 team is a lot. There's a lot of players that are different. You know, I think it's like a completely different squad. Maybe only like six or seven players that were, that were the same. The rest were just yeah, quite quite new to the squad. 20, uh, so it was 2013 big... was in uh, Uzbekistan, Dubai. Dubai. No, no Dubai. No Dubai. Which one was in Dubai. Uzbekistan? It was 2017. No, 17. Yeah, 17. 14 was Pakistan. For, ah, the Pakistan yeah, one. I was Pakistan. coming to the Pakistan one, but I cancelled like last yeah. minute. What, what, what? Of work. I couldn't get the days mm. off. 
Okay, fair enough. Okay, so you stopped in 2012 because you moved to, to yeah. Qatar, right? Stopped for the national team? Or okay. Did you play when you went, moved to Qatar? Did you play or did you just... No, I just stopped because it wasn't... I couldn't manage it, you know, with work, with starting a mm. family, with... It was just too much. Yeah. And how old are you now? 33. 33, okay. Do you miss it at all? Do you miss playing? Oh, I still get... Uh, a tournament, two tournaments a year. Like I play the tens, I play mm. some development sevens with like all the new boys, just run around with them. <laughs> yeah. So was it when you went to Qatar? Is that when you started picking up coaching, or were you, did you have an interest of that when you when you were in Lebanon still? No, honestly speaking, I I started helping the Qatar national team in two thousand and thirteen. With the with the fifteens, so I started mm. coaching a bit for the Qatari boys here. How did you get involved all... with that? Did you, did you just sort of you know? Did you kind of apply for anything, or did you? No, I just found them training, and I was like, okay, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, and <laughs> mm. and uh, let's. I just coached them for I think nine months in 2013. Is this the is this the senior Qatar men's it's team? It's the Qataris only, the local boys. The, the, only the, the local camels, boys, right? Single okay. camels, you called them. Uh, it wasn't camels was back then. The it, was, uh. it was just a bunch of boys who wanted to play rugby, and they had no one to coach them. So I just gave them I knew, and just helped them around. So, you know. So these were local Qatari lads who were just interested in rugby. They weren't. Why were they yeah. training on their own? Did they not train with the, the Doha RC or? Uh, no, they they or... they weren't training with Doha. There, there were like some political problems, but these were sorted out yeah. lately. Okay. You know, so yeah. it was they were training, and uh, some of them still play in the senior national squad. Hmm. I think it's odd that they would just have a separate team that they would train on their own. No, no, it's it's uh. different. Camels is like a club here, so it's not like ah, right, national. Okay. So Camels has a lot of expats, even Qatari locals. And some of them played for the RFC. Uh, I'm I'm surprised that you know the like the like the expats at Doha Rugby Club or the expats that was a part of the Qatari national team didn't look at that as an opportunity. Be like, okay, well these are young local boys who want to get involved in the game. You know, I'm going to try and speak to the federation, put my hand up, and say, listen, I've played in this country in this country for this many years I can help coach and not just because from a development point of view but I could I could also assume from a, a financial point of view because obviously Qatar, Qatar have got some money to fund things so if they can get some money these expats who are go over in Qatar doing whether it's personal training or other jobs and they're playing rugby at the same mm-hmm. time it's an it's an extra bit of income yeah, yeah. I'm surprised more people you have get to involved. understand that the federation uh was dissolved in like 2013-14. So there was no federation okay. at that time. You know what I mean? Because they started it uh, in 2006. They played the Asian Games. They kept it for a couple of years. And then, I don't know what happened. I think they just dissolved it for like two, two to three years. What year was it? Like 2013-14. It was dissolved. There, there was no federation. So... So there was no so oh so Qatar wasn't playing any international matches at this point. Uh, they used to play under the Ministry of how ca- how are they allowed under the Ministry of Sports and Culture. They would have a committee okay. headed by I think it was one of the expats. He was heading it, 
But then when the... It, yeah. They changed the whole system in Qatar. So it was Ministry of Youth and Sports, and now it's under the Olympic Committee itself. So we have our own Olympic Committee okay. who manage right. stuff. Okay. All right, and I get what you're saying. Um, yeah. All right, Tooms, do you want to ask anything before you uh, before I go on to about girls or women? Um, I was just more interested still in um, sort of what you're doing now in coaching, sing, and I guess that leads on to the women's stuff. So yeah, it kind of naturally goes on to that bit. So go on, you cream, you can lead that one. Well, my my my, my only question is obviously I know that you're so. Are you coach of the women's team or your manager? No, I'm the coach. I'm the head coach. Okay. Okay, fine. So, what? How, how did you get involved in coaching the women's team? Why and why? Like, how did it start? Uh, we started in 2016. So, it was... Mm. I was playing around with the men's uh, side, just playing some touch, coming to training just to keep fit. And then one of the federation heads uh, approached me and he's like, what do you think of women's rugby? Should we start it? And I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. So we contacted a couple of schools, a couple of teachers. And I, I remember the first training session we had, five girls showed up. And they're like, okay, we're going to start with the basics. And from these five girls, it, the week after it, we had 20 girls show up. And at the end of the month, we had 40 girls on the pitch. So it was, it was, Jeez, yeah. how did you, did you do any marketing? No, did nothing. You... It was just word of mouth. The girls speak to each other. <laughs> these are, these are expats or we had expats, we had local, we had locals, we had uh, the mix of them. We had around 12 locals when we first started. And none of them played rugby before, mm-hmm. except for the expats, I presume. No, not even the expats. Oh, so out of all the girls that showed up, none of them played rugby before ever? I think one of them played tag in school, and that's it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So how did so how did you go about coaching? What was your what was your what was your plan? What was your you know strategy in going forward? Honestly speaking, because I knew that they were gonna focus on sevens as the Olympic Committee vision. They wanted an Olympic sport, you know what I mean? So I didn't really play sevens, but I really liked, all my life, I liked detail. I liked technicals. So I started with catching and passing, the most basic thing. If you can't catch and pass properly in this game, I don't think you should be playing it, in all honest truth, especially sevens. You know, so uh, I had a lot of time. I spent a lot of time studying it. I am watching YouTube videos. Uh, Mike Friday, Ben Ryan, people who show you how to catch and pass properly, you know, some drills. And we just, I think it was the effort that the girls put. So we were training about about three times or four times a week. And uh, from those girls, they are the national side. Six or seven of them stayed to play national side. Wow. And is there a um, women's sort of club scene, or is it mainly this kind of national academy which you have? No, we have. You, you play na- national games. We have around three clubs, and sometimes we make them four teams. So anyone who did not make the first first selection goes into a Barbarians team, and we have a fourth team playing in a tournament. Wow. Sevens. So we have a good sevens, pool of yeah. players. Mm. 
So I, I, obviously, the last time that one of our podcasts a couple of weeks ago, we had Kay involved, one of the girls' players, and the one thing that we talked about there was how in Lebanon there's a, there's still a, a stigma or a taboo with women's rugby. Parents of the girls are, you know, oh, you can't. You're, that's not. It's not a woman's sport. You might get injured. You might this. And you, most people would say Lebanon is a pretty liberal country compared to other countries in the Middle East or the, in you know the Arab world. <laughs> Where Qatar is quite quite religious, it's quite a um, conservative yeah. place. So, how did you de- deal with that with with women's rugby? With honestly, yeah, honestly rugby. speaking, the first thing I would do was meet the parents. <laughs> you know, get to know the parents more than the girls. You know, make them trust me in a bit. Show them that. Uh, there's nothing wrong in the game. She can still play wearing a hijab, wearing her leggings. wearing It's manageable, you know? But yeah. I think people, mostly coaches in the Middle East, should really focus on getting to know the parents personally and giving them their phone number, your phone numbers. Call me whenever you want. If you want me to sit down and explain anything about the game, I'm there all the time. Uh, it's just, you know, getting the parents to trust yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I agree completely. We, well, when we spoke to Kay, we said that's that's what that's what the coaches mm. should be doing. You know, we said that you know one idea they should try and do is once a month ha- set up a an event, whether it's like a party where you got music or DJ or not not necessarily alcohol, but you know, just an event where each player brings their parents down and the coach comes down and other pe- people from the senior men's team come and they introduce themselves to the the parents and they talk to them and they see not only that it's not a barbaric game mm-hmm. that people think, but also the people that that's playing it, they're good people. They're good. That's the most important thing. They're good. Yeah, 100%. People, human beings. They're good human beings to make the, make the, the, the make them feel comfortable that their daughters are playing. So what what but, we do here is almost, we do it almost once a month. So whenever we have like a big one-day sevens tournament, all, most of the parents are free to join. We have a barbecue. Uh, we fundraise in the barbecue and the parents work on the barbecues while watching the games. So it's pretty very friendly, especially at DRFC. We always use DRFC. It's very friendly there. You know, they, they keep the values there. They, everyone's friendly. Everyone knows each other. And the parents fit in directly. So it doesn't take a lot of you know, effort from my side. They just speak, mingle to each other and get to yeah. know to each other. So when you, when you, um, have, when you started and you approached the parents, was their biggest concern uh, was from a religious point of view, as in the girls wearing shorts and not being able to cover their hair? Or was it from an injury point of view? Uh, injury point of view, 100%. Injury. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of I the thought. a lot of the parents were worried about Amazing. injuries, um, for example, medical coverage. Um, they had they never watched rugby, especially sevens. So mm. a lot of them uh, would watch fifteens and would say, "Okay, my girl is not playing that," <laughs> you know. And then you can't you can't compare the contact between sevens and fifteens in any way. It's totally different. Mm. Yeah, I remember that um, that girl that got injured. Do remember in Lebanon? That was a bit of a scary moment. Yeah, the scariest of my life. (laughs) Mm. She was young as well, wasn't she? She was 18 back then. Well, 
Jesus. Yeah, I'm scary. But um, it's funny. I just want to bring up a point that you just that you just said before Tuma said what he said. You said that you know they watch 15 and they say and they and they think that it's it, the contact is it, it is the same. And you said that it's not. Well, if you think about it, sevens is probably a little bit more dangerous yeah. than 15 oh, because. You have so much. We don't want to space. say that on the podcast. Parents are listening. I honestly no, think but... if you are taught how to play safely, you should be fine. You know, it's. Um... Oh, yeah, of course. Be fine. Oh, yes, 100%. I don't agree that yeah, sevens is worse than 15. You know, no, but, uh, the, the point that I think why it, it's not saying it's more, but I, actually, I do think it's more because. If you think about it in sevens, because there's it's it, there's so much delicacy on making a tackle. Because if you miss a tackle, usually it's a try. Because the because there's so many there's so much space on the field and not many and you can't cover all that space. So usually it's it's it really you have to commit to that one on one tackle. So if you don't and if you miss that tackle, usually a try gets through. So and because there's so much space and you play with so much depth, there's. You, you've got really got time to build up yes, your speed 100%. and build up your acceleration. So that so the no. contact, the contact can be a little bit more dangerous. I don't think so. Obviously, I think you're going back further. I mean, on sevens, you've got that space and you're always making like a side-on-side tackle, outside shoulders. And if anything, that um, that kind of space helps because you, mm-hmm. you know, you're normally trying to go around someone and someone's taking your legs. Whereas in 15s, you know, you're literally... You know, taking a ten meter run up, or whatever it can be, just off a ruck, and you know, when you get players trying to chop people or trying to just muscle them down. You know, big forwards. That's where you get the injuries. Plus, seventh players are a lot smaller, and and there's a lot less ruck. Yeah, but Most how many uh, are in the rucks? Yeah. Okay, how many tackles do you think you make in a seven in a fifteen match? If I'm on a good day, maybe fifteen to twenty. <laughs> okay, and how many do you think you make in a sevens match? Five? No, me. no, way more. No, come reckon? on. Yeah, no. More, more. Yeah, more. Then, of course, if, mate. If, if one of you the girls makes yeah. five tackles in be... my team, I'd be like, okay, you're not tackling it out. <laughs> no, there's, there's no way you're making only five tackles. You'll be you, and you said on a good day you're making maybe fifteen, but on an average day you're probably making about eight or nine. Well, in a, in a sevens match, you're probably well, making. At least seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve. Right. Say it's ten. Say it's it say it's to be ten. Well, that's you're making the same amount of contact, and you do. And in the seventh match, you're playing three, yeah. four, five games a day. So you're making fifty 100%. tackles a day. So physics, from a physical point of view, it's actually worse on your uh, body. It's worse, but I think what we like. I, I feel much worse after a game of fifteen than a, than a, than a you know. Yeah, creating up a whole weekend of sevens is different. For, forwards are different. You know, forwards get into the contact. It's... Yeah, Kareem, Kareem, Kareem doesn't <laughs> feel it. Doesn't tag anything on fifteens match. He has to do a lot more in sevens. That's why. I thought there's no rocks in either game, so that's why. I thought if there's a common, there's a common understanding. If you get tackled, you let the guy present the ball, and that's it. I think, I, I think from the sevens point um, of view, you need to teach them how to tackle. Uh, you know, the basic trainings that we have here is. Uh, Okay, put your cheek to cheek, put your head there, put your shoulder there. And I think a lot of coaches think it's enough. 
I don't think it is nearly enough, especially in sevens. Because you can get a dislocation because of your foot not being in the right place. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just about getting them. So as soon as a new girl comes to training, we go into a safety camp for her. And we take her to the side, make sure she is safe in tackling three, four sessions before she even starts any contact. You know what I mean? So it, it, it all depends on the way you teach them. And I think it's the small things in a tackle that make it safe or unsafe. So who determines how many, how many sessions are enough? Because you said three or four, but I, if, if, someone, if, if someone is brand new to the game, and you want to bring and put them involved in a contact session where, because when you're teaching a person, uh, if you're doing three or four sessions before you're involved, when you're teaching her, you're probably teaching her with someone kneeling yeah, down or her on her knees, and then it's cheek to cheek with someone walking, then mm-hmm. someone jogging, and then someone running a little bit more sideways, mm-hmm. but at her shoulder. But then when you're going into contact, it's okay, now you've got to tackle while you're fatigued. Now you've got to tackle yeah. when they're running directly at you, so- and then they're sidestepping. Now you got to. Yeah, there's so many different yes. scenarios. How can you? How how, uh, how are you? Progressing? I progress it by giving them the scenarios. So what I'll do is, okay, she finished the safety. We'll go onto a one-on-one game in a small box. If she is safer, I'll introduce mm-hmm. a two-on-two, a three-on-three, different scenarios. You know, I would not put her directly into a contact game, and uh, a lot of girls don't make it. So a lot of girls will have four, five, six, seven sessions, and they'll say, okay, you cannot tackle. Yeah. I will not be responsible for you to play a contact game. I wouldn't listen. Yeah, yeah 100%. Well, that's it's, good. It's just too dangerous. If she can't tackle safely, don't risk it. Hmm. Yeah. No, you're right. I, I agree completely. Who's... who's um? Who's in control of the coaches making these decisions? Because obviously, obviously, you seem obviously extremely careful, and you're aware of what's going on, and 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 you want to be. And, and safety is number one for you, and that's 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 how you're going about things as a coach. Now, other coaches, not just with your specific national team, but who's teaching women's rugby in general, because it can't be just be you. Who's who's keeping to the level of um, well, honestly speaking, for example, let's have DRFC. They're the biggest club here. Okay, uh, Their coaches, mostly volunteers, have played to a higher standard outside and they're expats here. So they would volunteer and they would uh, make sure that even minis and youth are taught correctly. Uh, and the federation will supervise over them. So, for example, they'd send me sometimes, go watch this training, go watch this training. Is, it, is everything safe enough? And I think this role is going to be introduced next season as a technical uh, director for the federation where he can supervise all the yeah. coaches. Are they doing it right or not? Okay. Have you got any coaching badges, Honestly by the speaking, way? Uh, I did my level ones. I did my level twos. Uh, but yeah. with all due respect to World Rugby, I don't think they're they're very beneficial. You know what I mean? They they, they teach yeah, you I, how I to agree coach, completely. but not what to exactly. coach. It, it's not just that. The World Rugby coaching badges, level one, level two, 
I think even to some degree level three are for really develop, developed yes, countries, uh, countries in develop, development. Um, I really, really know that because if you look at every nation in the world, they have their own coaching courses. Yes. The RFU have their own level one, two, three. WRU yep. have their own one, two, three. New Zealand, everyone has their own. They, they have their own criteria where countries like Qatar or Lebanon, they don't have the, the, the resources to have someone in the country create their own courses. So that's why World Rugby have created these courses that were really low standard. But people, I think in our, in our region, uh, Lebanon especially, think if you've got a level one or yeah. level two, World you're, you're no, qualified or competent coach. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Look, it's I ridiculous. took my level twos uh, in Lebanon. Uh, I just did it like a year ago. Oh, with, really? Uh, I did the last oh, one. Oh, you did and, the last one. With all due respect to everyone one, right. there, there were some people there who I'd look at and it's like, okay, have you ever played the game before? And I was asking, why are they taking the courses? Why, are he, why is this guy taking a level two world rugby coaching badge? You know? And yeah. I don't yeah, think right. the, I don't think the badges, with all due respect to them, make a difference. It's it's how much effort you put now. Because at this stage in the Middle East, we have nothing else. You know, Lebanon doesn't have its own coaching badges. We don't have them. UAE don't have them. So I think I think from my point of view, world yeah. rugby needs to differentiate between developing countries and already developed countries. Because when you go on the give a level two to coaches who've coached on, for example, Australia. They already know the technicals. You're just telling them, okay, this is how you plan your session. This is what we would like you to do. But they already know the basics. Yeah. Yeah. Have you you thought about, as Qatar rugby in general, or yourself thought about flying over to France or England or Ireland and doing like a RFU or a WRU level one. So then you've got a badge from, an, you know, from one of these developed countries. And yeah, really 100%. I, I was in know, London two years ago in summer and I was pursuing the level one there. Yeah. But I just couldn't finish it because of my work. I had to fly yeah. back to Qatar. I stayed in London for a I stayed for two months oh, and we played, I played rugby there. It was fun. I met a lot yeah. of coaches. So it's a different level, mate. It's just a different level. Uh, okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I so what completely. is um, going forward? What is, uh, what would you like to happen in, I guess, in, first of all, in women's rugby in Qatar and then mainly in the region? What do you think the biggest challenges are to kind of grow the game or what? Obviously, we're in a bit of a strange global crisis at the minute mm-hmm. but after all this is kind of yeah. done what's the what's the plan going forward I think we need more more games more competitions mm. you know because it's uh, playing sevens if you play three or four games a year is not enough no you know uh, I, I took a team to when we started the West Asia in 2018 I think 2018 the first one in Lebanon yeah I think it was Alex's idea. It was a great yeah. idea. This is you when know, we, we had, had Syria there. Yeah, Syria, Lebanon had a couple of teams, Jordan. And, yeah, yeah, and it, it, it was good. It was, it was brilliant because Lebanon had a women's team. They only played the Dubai Sevens before, I think. Yeah. And uh, Syria had a team and they never yeah. played before. 
And we, 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 especially in the blockade that we were in, we had no one to play. So we were just training and training and training without any games, without nothing. And uh, it, Asia Rugby supported it and they, they approved it as a tournament. 2019, the one we hosted in Qatar was good. But when you take, I took a team, an under 18s team to India in 2018 also for the under 18 Asian games. And you look at the teams there and you can feel that they've been playing week in, week out, week in, week out. Okay. And uh, it's just different because when, when, when you have a tournament on a bi-weekly basis, your, your body gets used to it. You know? And we, when, we, when we trained mm. for, we played the 2019 one in Qatar and we had a four-month training camp. And then we went to Jakarta to play in the Asian Trophy. And I remember for a four-month period, we had yeah. no game. So for four months, just training, 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 and going playing a tournament against people like Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia, who have, they're very close there to each other. So they travel around and they play on a monthly basis tournaments. And for us in the Middle East, having one tournament a year is just not enough. Have you... Yeah. Have you, have, you put, have you put a plan forward? Would I have a plan forward. I would like to start thing? something like, uh, let's say, a Middle East league where Lebanon can play, Jordan can play, once a month at least. Uh, we try to start something uh, like it, but on a club level this year, where we, we as Doha, Doha Rugby, went to play Kuwait, Oman, uh, we had them come over and play a home tournament here. So we had a couple of tournaments to play. How much was it costing you per tournament in, for your travel and your hotel and everything yeah. to do that? Because that's what it comes down to. Because if, if, if Lebanon had the money, we could play as often as we wanted. You know, the girls could play every month if they wanted to, if, if we had the money. So... It comes down to budget. How much was it costing uh, you to do these Well, the girls used to, to play travel their this pay their tickets. Okay, and there were no hotels because we used to go in the morning and come back directly at night. Okay. Yeah, it's a one-day thing. It's just to make oh, it cheaper okay. so for, one for the day, girls. One day, same day. Make it possible. It's, it's mad to think, like, you know, we're in, obviously we're yeah. in, you know, in countries like the UK, it's just like, you know, if you've got a drive more than an hour to a game it's a bit of a mission like but you're there and your closest <laughs> closest club that you can play you've got to take like a two-hour flight you know it's it's mad to think of the challenges that you know you've got there and unless you can build more more of a game domestically you know to have in, in I, I, competitions I think I mean, it's all national at the minute Domestically, I, Jenny, we have, I told you, four teams playing domestically, but I do not mm. think that the standards are going to be very high domestically, especially with so the population we have. Yeah. So you don't get so a is, lot is, of girls playing at, at higher levels. Is, is there a bit, is the focus on trying to build numbers domestically, or is your role only about sort of national competition in the national team? Or do you... Uh, no, I... I I probably feel like a technical director or a technical hand for the federation. Yeah. So we're trying to balance it out because the Olympic Committee 
would like results internationally. Um, mm. For a 10-year plan that we have for 2030, we're trying to build it domestically. But we, we have to balance. You can't say, okay, we're not going to play international tournaments and disappear. And mm. you, you can't say, okay, we're only going to focus on the national side because at the end, these girls are going to grow up, grow older, and stop playing. So where is the, where is, where is the recycling of players? You know what I mean? Are you in schools or universities or anything? Um, like where, yeah. where do your players mainly come from? Are they, is it kind mostly of, they play most, where they, start, in their home country? We start at high schools, mostly. Hmm. No, most of them come from like netball and basketball and, and stuff like that, sports like that, you know, and I hmm. think most, Jenny, for, from, from, our, from our national side, uh, the sports that really help them is netball. So there is a huge netball uh, community here, and a lot of the girls who play netball come over and play rugby. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Have you got any? Uh, have you got any tournaments or games planned this year at all? Obviously, during because of this yeah. COVID nineteen, it's 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 messed things up um, for the next two or three. We months had the least, West Asia that was going to be hosted. What was it? In Jordan, I think. Yeah, it was going to be hosted in Jordan and and that got cancelled. We we were planning yeah. to go to yeah. the Asian Trophy in August, Jakarta. It's hosted there again, but I don't think it's going to go through. And we have, okay. we always, Jenny, we always want to take an under 18s team or whatever the Asian tournament is. Yeah. W would you be interested in... Um... Because I know, I know with the men's team, you know, for me personally, you know, I've, you know, I've been saying since, since when we Lebanon pulled out of ARC this year, I, I said, you know, we should plan on having the Qatar men's team to come out, um, in like to Lebanon in like September or towards the end of September, where the the seat, the the flight of the of the hotels are a little bit cheap, the flights are cheaper and the hotels cheaper because. It's not really mm -hmm. the peak season, but also the weather is still good. For, for the Qatar men's team to come out and play like a one, come for two days, like come on the, the Thursday night, sleep, play on the Friday night, and they can, on, or Friday at late afternoon, and they can fly Friday night or fly, fly Saturday. But they come for two, three, two, three days, play a game with our national team, bring a women's team over, and they play as well. Is that something that, that's a part of your plan to play like these? Pick up friendly games, or do you only only want to do? Or, no, you know, no. Honestly, you know, play Qatar again. Asia <laughs> you just have a head to heads all year long. Just as well as Qatar. No, look, and all honestly, for example, the last game I watched uh, the Lebanon against Qatar in 2019 was one of the best games I watched in ARC. In all honesty, and and I think Lebanon against Qatar is a very competitive one, but you have to understand we are on a tight budget. You know what I mean? So it depends where would where would we like to allocate this budget? Can we spend this amount traveling for a friendly and then just not do yeah. a, an official tournament? That's the question. Yeah. Well, it, you, well to be fair, you could make it an annual thing where it's like, I don't know, you could call it the Lebanon Qatar Cup, where every year you play play one test match either in Lebanon or like first year could be in Lebanon, the next year could be in Qatar, the third year could be in Lebanon, and you go back and forth. Um, 
and uh, along with the ARC. So you're playing at least then now you can play three test matches test matches a year. Because right now what they're saying with ARC, as far as I know, is that they're not going to do mm. it annually. It's going to be every two years. <laughs> I really didn't think of that. Yeah. So that doesn't that. So it doesn't really give much options for any other tournaments going on for men. Like, yes, we could play Cyprus. Yes, we could play, like, Greece. But realistically, we're part of Asia. So if we're not playing teams in Asia, it's stupid. And we're not going to go fly to Thailand or Indonesia and countries like that. The countries that are close to us and competitive is the only one that's really, really is Qatar. Mm-hmm. For, for our men and uh, for you, our women, yeah, Karim, I couldn't hear you. You were cutting up then. I couldn't hear anything. Sorry, I was saying that, you know, with ARC being cancelled on an annual basis, it's only every two years, it's useless for us to go and play games against Cyprus or Greece because they're not part part of Asia. It's better to play teams who are part of Asia rugby. And it's useless us going to Thailand or Indonesia or that far east. We might as well play some teams in our, in our local area. Yeah, 100%. And the most competitive teams in this area. And I think, for example, for India Qatar. would be good For our men and for our women. No, I think India, Qatar and Lebanon are probably the best competition yeah. we can get at this level. Yeah, just the distance, isn't it, I think? It, it's such a difficult thing to organise, though, especially ju- because dur- during the winter... You know, it's hard for girls to leave on weekends because they might have university exams. During the summer, you might not have your best squads because some girls go away with family for vacation or whatever. And, the, and then the other part of the year, you've got ARC. So you might have, you don't want to be too close towards ARC because girls will be pay, maybe paying for a flight there. So it's so <laughs> awkward, awkward, hard to organise, but it can definitely be done. It just It's just getting the right... It just needs the right the right people. Obviously, you from Qatar. I don't know who's involved in Jordan rugby and whoever's in charge of women's rugby in Lebanon. You just need to sit down on a, over a conference call and just say, okay, what do we think? What dates should we do? And then you then you go to the federation and say, listen, we spoke to each other. We can do all agree on these dates. Can you approve it? If you say yes. That's it. No, Asia rugby, they don't have to do anything. All they got to do is send a referee. And if they're not yeah, and, and both West Asians use, use a local referee is qualified outside. to do it. So we got someone problem. from Sri Lanka, we got someone from Pakistan. I think, I think with Kais exactly. becoming president now, things will change to the better. Because I, I spoke to him a while ago in, in Dubai, and um, he, has a, he has a good vision for it. You know what I mean? Hopefully, he can apply it. And and from the commitment or time management part of it, yeah. I think the girls, the players, should be more committed. For example, when we when we had to travel to Jakarta, and it was over a summer vacation period, uh, they didn't go for holidays. Most of their parents went, and a lot of the national side here, I had around ten or eleven, stay in the country just to train so if they can play in Jakarta. It's just commitment. It's just culture, commitment, values. They stayed here for three months with their parents wow. being outside yeah, of the country. that's amazing. Just to train. All right. Um, okay, so seeing, I don't know if you paid attention, but to our other podcast, we asked just two or three quick fire yeah. questions um, before we uh, send you off. So the first question is, um, 
who's the best player that you've played oh. with and the best player you've played against and why? <laughs> And just to make it no, easier, look, um, you, can, you can't include. I didn't me play at very high level standard, but for the player I played with, I played with him. I think one or two games. I think the the Qatar number ten broke to remain. Silence, silence, for grief. <laughs> <laughs> mate, you know I'm. Re- I'm you know. <laughs> No, no, mate. I'm, I'm, in all you, honest, you know, I'm removing this podcast. I'm deleting it. Oh in all honest God. truth, uh, this look, is not both going, of you this are is very not different. Going to air. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Because because I used to play mate, a lot with you. Mate, you're sinking a hole here. <laughs> no, no, no. You, look, in all honest truth, when I used you, to run lines with you, for example, in league, it was very easy. You make things easier for for the forwards who are running lines in league. It was just so easy with you. You knew when to give us yeah. the ball, where to give us the ball, and it was very easy. Uh, Brook, Brook as a yeah. 10 is very, very different. He loves the contact. Yeah. He's, a, he's, a, you know he's I mean? a kind of game manager, isn't he? Good, mm. good boot on him. Yeah, he, he's a good game, game manager, and, yeah. and he doesn't mind the contact. He doesn't mind taking the contact and giving <laughs> you an offload. It's, it's just different, different types of playing. <laughs> yeah, I don't see that very efficient, so it's not really my not my cup of tea. Uh, but whatever, every, each, uh, each I played right, so uh, last play no against. two years ago against in the London Nines. I played the London Nines two years ago against a winger from Tonga, and it was he was unbelievable. I don't know his name honestly, but I still think he is one of the upcoming players we're gonna see on the on on. On the scene. That that was league. Yeah, league. Yeah. Tanus first. No. <laughs> yeah, league. Was it Tanus Ferris? <laughs> <laughs> all right, and oh, no, right. so, well, me. listen, mate. I first of all, I think we both appreciate you coming on board on this podcast because I know it's no you're you're a couple of hours ahead of us, so it's pretty late to where you are. So we thank you for that. And just by hearing, hearing you, I know you've always had passion for the game, but just hearing your passion for the women's game and how you want to see those players grow, it's, it's. I think me and you could, uh, we should have a conversation yeah, was... off the podcast, and we can really sit down and see what we can do with both, both yeah, countries and women's rugby. Done. Because I, I think people I think we both have the same passion of growing it, the know? game in that area. Uh, no, thanks a lot, yeah, Steve, for coming on, mate. Good to hear no, from you. No, thank you for having me. Good to speak to you. Thank you, mate. Take care, stay safe. Yeah, see you, mate. Bye-bye. All right. Take care, mate, and we'll speak soon, all right? Bye. Good lad. Great lad. <laughs> Huge lad. Top lad. Massive. Uh, I assume you said that. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Yeah, I'm gonna Brooke's delete that part of that. Brooke. What's her name? Prick. Brooke. Prick. What? Tremaine. <laughs> oh, imagine if he's listening. I'm already joking, Brooke. You're a top lad. Top lad. Um. Nah, to be fair, I've, always, I've I've you know I spoke to Sing every now and again when we play 
if we ever play Qatar or we see him drawing over rugby. I speak to him, we catch up. We don't really go into a lot of detail. But mm. in terms of his approach, like, like, I don't know in terms of how he coaches. I don't know how good he is as a coach or any of that stuff. But when you've got a guy who's that passionate and he generally wants to, to really get mm. involved and help out and improve, you know, just put him in the put him in the right people, and he can grow massively. And um, it's yeah. it's a shame that yeah. he has to, he's gone to Qatar. Great time in Lebanon, I'm sure. That, if the yeah, passion back, he'd towards still Qatar, involved. rather than but like we were you saying, know, you don't need country. the best people or the most money in the world. You just need people who are committed and and love it like he does. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I enjoyed I that. A bit of a different but... twist. Yeah, it's mad, man. It's, um, no, it was a good episode. I enjoyed it. Yeah. No, so, I enjoyed that. Looking forward to our next one. To, uh, anything you want to say before we end this podcast, pal? Yeah, so next, so our next podcast, for those of you listening, uh, we've got Laurent, which is on Tuesday night. Um... And then we've got a few other people up our sleeve. We won't mention their names until we've got confirmation. But if you're interested in being a part of the podcast or you've got any questions or you got you want us to talk about anything in specific, um, leave us a review. Or if you know us personally or if you've got us we, on Instagram, me or Joe, just send we, we us a DM. A bit more professional and, with you know, that. We can talk about it. It's not a problem. We're, we're open so we to suggestions. You can get in touch with us a bit more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>